The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, welcome piano enthusiasts. My name is Mark Miller, and this is... I believe my fifth presentation. And thanks to one of my new piano students, Tyanne, I'm able to see uh, who's in, who's listening. So thank you, Tyanne, for that. <clears throat> I noticed there's a few new ones, I think, and a few old ones. Dexter, I know you've been listening before, Tyanne, obviously. And um, welcome to Jonathan, Lisa, Motor City Kitty, and Tarika. I'm not sure if you're new or not, but. <clears throat> If you are, you can ask me any questions. I'm going to try not to repeat today. Um, today, I want to go over uh, what might be arguably the most patterned form of music, and that's the blues. We haven't talked about the blues yet, but um, the blues, or boogie-woogie, I'll call it, has a very patterned left hand. Again, we're looking for patterns so that we can um, focus on one hand or the other. So in the left hand for the blues, we typically will play, well, one of the things we can do for Boogie Woogie is to play, that's simply playing a C and a G twice, and then the C and the A, C on the bottom, G above it, and moving my thumb to the C and the A. Right Now blues has a pattern, it's called the 12 bar blues. So typically we'll do a measure of C major, and then we'll go to a measure of F, but it's the same um, distance. It's the same fingering. It's C, F and C, and then F and D. <coughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So in blues, it's called 12-bar blues. It's a measure of C, measure of F. Now two measures of C. Two measures of F. Back to two measures of C. And one measure of G, girl. And a measure of F. And then two of C. Okay, so if you were to write this pattern out, uh, it's actually pretty easy to remember. Just it's C uh, from left to right. C measure of C F C C, and then the next four measures are F F C C, and then G F C C. So the second half of each four measure segment is C C, C F C C, F F C C, G F C C. Okay, so it's pretty easy to remember. And this is standard for any blues progression, whether you're playing boogie woogie, um, you know, jazz or what have you. Now, so once we get that left hand second nature, uh, then we add these right hand ideas, what are called right hand licks. Okay, so I have those right hand licks written out in treble clef. Obviously I can still, I can teach them through audio. I can teach them through note by note via a text, right? 
PDF text. Okay, but basically the idea is get that left hand second nature. By the way, the left hand is playing what's called a jazz eighth note. Uh, some of you may know that. Basically, it's a long, short feel. It's a long, short, long, short, long, short, long, short, as opposed to even eighth notes, which would be rock and roll. Right? And uh, you could actually do that too, which would be like a rockabilly, right? Let's see. <laughs> still works for rockabilly as well as for boogie woogie or blues okay <clears throat> so there's a few well there's basically two blues scales by the way if anyone has any questions please don't hesitate to ask um i'm going fast it's because i want to cover an entire four decades of knowledge into an hour i'm just kidding but i do tend to go fast so please stop me ask any questions along the way so in the right hand, <clears throat> excuse me, there's basically two blues scales. One is called the blues pentatonic, pentatonic meaning five notes. The pentatonic scale is typically one, two, three, and five, six of the major scale. One, two, three, five, six, five total notes. And then we can add the blue note in there, which is the uh, lower third or minor third. That gives it that blues tinge, right? So that blues pentatonic scale, one, two, so these are the scale degrees, one, two, flat three, three, five, six. That is the blues pentatonic scale, and you can play that on top of basically the left hand. Right, so I have students do that as a, like a drill. They'll play the blues pentatonic scale upward for um, each chord. So here's the C chord with the C blues pentatonic. Now the F blues pentatonic. Back to the C. This chord that I'm using for my headset is getting in the way. <laughs> So once you see that scale and or can play it without hesitation, then you can play around with that and be creative. For example, So I can see that blues pentatonic scale and play it pretty much instantly. So once I can do that, then I can, you know, be creative and make up my own lick, so to speak. So that's a set of notes that will give you that blues flavor. And it's pretty easy because it's all white notes, except for one. Uh, whereas if you were to do that for, let's say a B flat blues or an E flat, that would be much more difficult fingering. But basically, blues pentatonic is the pentatonic scale, one, two, three, five, and six of the major scale. And then you lower the third for the blues effect. <laughs> 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 
again, that left hand is really quite simple. It's very, very patterned. Okay. So that's the blues pentatonic scale. And by the way, sorry. So do you lower the three and then do a regular three or just lower the three, no regular three? Great question. Yeah, uh, I was playing both. So I'm lowering the third. I'm also playing the major third. So I get that contrast. Let's see if I did it without the third, without lowering, without um, the major third. No, I like to use the major third. And whenever I get near the major third, I'll do the blue note. And to give you that flavor of blues into the, you know, into the major sound. So I, 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 let me start. Great question. Let me start on the blue note and just emphasize it. So, right? so typically I'm going to play that blue note and resolve it, the minor third, into the major third for that, that effect. Yeah, great question. So the minor third along with the major third. Get that contrast. Thank you for that question. I don't know who that was, but thank you. <laughs> okay. Now that's the blues pentatonic scale. Of course, there's always what I call the pure blues or the you know the traditional blues. And those are those notes are the root or one, the minor third of the scale, the fourth, the raised fourth, the fifth and the lowered seventh. All right, so that's gonna give you even more of a bluesy sound. For example, uh, here's the pure blues or traditional blues in the key of C. Um, Sorry. All right. Now the fingering for that is really quite easy. Just you always use the thumb on the white note and the third finger on the black note. So, all right. So let's play that again. So let's try something else here. Here we go. This is the blues pentatonic. Excuse me. The pure blues. Those are the two main blues scales, blues pentatonic, and then the pure blues. So if we were to transpose that. The uh, number four of the traditional blues pentatonic. Sorry, say, say that. Sorry, say that again, please. For the traditional blues. The traditional blues is the one I just played where you have uh, the root, the minor third, the fourth, the raised fourth, the fifth, and the lowered seventh, all right? So just memorize those scale degrees. And if you want to do the F, pure blues, just plug in those same scale degrees, root, minor third, fourth, raise fourth, 
fifth and lowered seventh. So here's the F blues. So let's play, say I'm playing Georgia and I want a, a blues tinge. And I just played the F blues or F traditional blues um, during that space, during that, that's dead time. And it gives you that little bit of a blues tinge. There was the blues pentatonic. So I'll do a pure blues or traditional blues fill here. Or I could do the blues pentatonic fill. Traditional blues, a little bluesier, but still the blues pentatonic is pretty effective. So one question that my teacher never really answered for me, I don't think I even asked it, but here's my blues fill, right? Pure blues, traditional blues. Okay, what really sells it is that I'm driving toward this next melody note. All right, that's my next melody note in the measure. Okay, so that note A1, first A above middle C in my system of naming notes. A1 is my next melody note. So that's my target. So when I'm coming down on my blues scale, I want to get right next to that target so it really kind of sells it from a logic standpoint i'm driving right you want to make your fill end up a half step or maybe a whole step but i a half step is best so the last note of the fill resolves into the next melody notes by half step that's really um, an important concept that's what sells it right you might hear someone do a fill doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I jumped to that melody note. Whereas if I drive toward that next melody note intentionally, right? That's what really sells it from a uh, fill standpoint, jazz fill or blues fill. Okay, so I, it's all about where you're going. I always tell students, you know, let's say you wanna go to Florida. Well, there's about 10 million ways you can go. You can go through Vegas, you can go through Alabama, you can go through Georgia, right? But if you don't know where you're going, you can't get there. So the whole idea is what is my target melody note? In this case, it's A1, the first A above middle C. So I can do the blues pentatonics. I can do the pure blues, but I wanna get within a half step of that, that target melody note. And that's a real important part of when you do scalar fills, blues fills, any fill, right? You want to get close to that by half step to that next melody note, okay? So that was Georgia with a little blue blues tinge. Basically, if you want to get a blues tinge, you want to work with that minor third to the major third uh, to kind of answer previous person's question. That's what gives it that, that bluesy feel. Okay, so that's the boogie woogie left hand. Mm -hmm.
basically just three sets. C, F. By the way, the fingering would be pinky and index, and then pinky thumb, so you don't have to move, right? Pinky index, and then pinky thumb. Go to the F, do the same fingering, pinky index, pinky thumb. Same for the G. Right? You can kind of hear Leroy Brown in there. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Let me do that again. There it is. That was the blues pen attack. So I would highly recommend getting the blues pentatonic for C. Get that second nature. And then for F and G. And the fingering is always one, two, three, one, two, three, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So that's the beauty of uh, the keys of C, F, and G for the blues pentatonic. It's always one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And the F. Okay, so it's a lot of fun once you get those down in your fingers, right? Just play around and be creative with that. Okay, so I talked about the fingering for the left hand. I talked about loose pentatonic fingering. Um, now, let's say you wanted to do maybe a more traditional, like a jazz blues, not necessarily a boogie woogie. This is a really cool pattern. If we're doing jazz blues, so to speak, we would have like C, C7. And then F7, back to C7. Okay, well, let's say you're a beginner. I found that we can basically play the C7, the F7, and the G7. They're all right next to each other if we play the so-called important notes, which are the third and the lowered seventh. Some of you have heard this before, but I'll just kind of repeat it. When we're playing chords, the third and the seventh are the most important notes. Very quickly to illustrate that, here's C major seven, C dominant seven, C minor seven. And yet the root and fifth, are the exact same notes for all three of these different sounding chords. So the root and the third, the root and the fifth are not really the function. They're not the, the notes that are making the sound unique. It's the third and the seventh. So if we have a C dominant seven, the third and the seventh is E and B flat. That's actually sufficient enough to play the blues. Okay. So let's say you're a beginner and you're not really familiar with, or you know, you're just starting for your first lesson. This two, these two notes are the essence of C dominant seven. And the coolest thing in the world is that if you just lower each of those two notes a half step each, you get the essence of F7 back to C7. And if you raise the, those two notes of C7 a half step each, you get the G7, the essence of G7. So it's unbelievably minimal movement, which is great for a beginner. So here's C7, F7 is right next door, back to C7 and G7 is right there. All right, so you don't have to jump around, play these complex four note chords, so to speak. 
it's all right there. So it's really allows you to focus on that right hand improv. Again, it's all about, for me, my teaching is all about minimal movement. So this is so easy. I can really focus on my improv. Okay, so put that in your bag of tricks. It's just E and B flat. That's the essence of C dominant seven. Half step down each. E flat and A is F7, essence of. And the G7 is the F and the B. Again, those are the third and seventh of each of respective chords. Three and seven of C7, three and seven of F7, and the third and seventh of the G7. By the way, it doesn't matter the order. It could be seven, three, it could be three, seven, but it just so happens to be three, seven, seven, three, three, seven, and then seven, three but they're right next to each other. So when I was practicing the blues, I wish someone had taught me that because that really makes the left hand easier, even easier than this part. Okay. Uh, any questions on that per se? No, maybe so. Okay. Um, let's see. So that's the blues and the fills blues. So when you're doing a fill, um, there's basically, I would say, four types of fills. One is a scalar fill, like if you do a... Right, that was a G major scale. But notice I also, I was driving toward this melody note in the next measure. So it's sorry. So I came really close to that next melody note, and that's what helps to sell it. Okay, and notice um, it's a scalar fill, but instead of going straight down. Which I could do. I like to use what I call seven, eight, seven. I don't necessarily go straight down on the G major scale. I'll do like the seventh of the scale to the eighth and then come back down. Just a little bit of a twist. This is a song called I Remember You. Again, this is my target melody note, and I'm driving toward that. I could start anywhere in the G major scale. Um, I can repeat notes, whatever I want, but I do like to use a seven, eight, seven, and then come down. So it's not just a straight down, which is totally viable, totally fine. I like to mix it up just a little bit, right? I could do the same, 
idea, but with under thirds. So two notes. Obviously much harder to play from a dexterity standpoint. I could do a little bit of both, like, like under thirds, two notes. And then break off and make single notes, right? So it doesn't have to always be all under thirds, all single notes, you can mix them up. Like, so this is pretty easy to do under thirds here. And then single. Okay, and that doesn't even get into rhythmic. We can do, that was just basically straight eighth notes. Right, so it's really infinite. But the bottom line is you want to know what key you're in at that point for the fill. So I know I'm in the key of G as in girl. I know the notes of G major scale. And I'm going to do 787 of the scale, driving toward my next measure's melody note. And if you want to go down, you want to go to different rhythm. But generally speaking, they're going to be eighth notes or sixteenths. One and two e. Okay. Let's see. What other fills do I know? Well, actually, quite a few. So that would be scalar fill. We could do chord tone fill. So in other words, my chord is um, is G major seven at this point. So I could do chord tones uh, of of the G major seven. start a little bit higher two all right so there's scale degree there's scale scalar fills that time i went beyond the target this time i could go um directly into the target and i can alter it any way i want but I want to get to that target by half step or whole step at the, the, at the greatest uh, distance. Whole step maximum, half step is best. Okay. Questions on any of that? Oh, I think we have a new person here, Pam. And we can talk about anything else if you want. So it looks like a lot of you are new. Well, from what I can remember, um, so if there's any other areas you want to go over, I'm happy to digress, so to speak. I'm trying to do new things each week, but now that I can see the participants, I'm able to um, kind of alter, okay, let's do something a little bit older because everyone's new, or no, everyone has been here before and we lose all new. So... Mm -hmm. Tyann has her hand up. Okay, thank you. Diane, wait, hold on. Oh, Ty, oh, wait a second. Did I lose him? Oh, well, uh, Tyann, you moved up on my list. I didn't see you were listening. Yeah, that's because she raised her hand. Ah, yep. thank you. <laughs> I'm learning. Except for, uh, it's Julia who has a Ju question. Ah, Julia. Hi. Hi. Wouldn't that depend on the time signature that you're using as to whether you would want to use eighth or sixteenth notes? Great question. Absolutely. Um, typically, I use. Well, that's a, that's great. In the particular song I illustrated, I remember you. There's actually two full measures 
that I want to fill. So it's eight beats of, uh, of dead time. So that's why I used eighth notes. One and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one. But typically I have just a measure to fill. And so I will almost always use sixteenths when I have just a measure to fill because I want to differentiate. A lot, of, a lot of melodies are eighth notes, so I want to differentiate by doing faster notes. But that happens to be a two-measure fill, and so I use eighths. So yeah, it def depends on how much space you're trying to fill. Absolutely. Having said that, I, um, I teach what I call a 10-note ten, ten ten fill. This is my target, my next melody note in the next measure. We can reverse engineer that. This is very helpful, I think, and say, okay, this is my target. I'm going to do 10 notes for my fill. So we can reverse engineer it by going up 10 notes on the G scale. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So if I start on a B2, B as in boy, B2 note, that will get me to my target in time. So I, uh, it's a good template, 10 notes uh, for the fill. But again, you have to know where you're going to get there. So I'm going here. Oh, that was straight down I could go up and I could go you know up and down one two three four five six seven eight nine and then ten or right but it's it's a pretty fail-safe thing this is my target count up ten notes along the G scale one two three four five six seven eight nine ten that's gonna always work if you do sixteenths in one measure of fill or eighth notes in two measures of the fill so you're absolutely right it's all how much space are you trying to fill and how many beats total, right? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good question. Rather advanced question. So I like those. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize uh, I should know better now. Tyann and Julia are like uh, the West Coast du dynamic duo. Okay, so that was a good question. So yeah, how much time are we filling? But 10 notes, if I'm filling one measure, I'm um, doing 10 16th notes. So basically that would come in on the, um, on the and of two, right? One E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one. And if I'm filling two measures, eighth notes, one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one. Right? So the more I teach, everything comes back to scales. You know, and I wish my classical teachers, or even my jazz teacher, it emphasized that more, right? I think what differentiates a B plus player to from an A plus is what they do in the space. You know, everyone plays some form of D minor, some form of G dominant, and some form of C major, right? Some form of C. But what do they do here? Right, there's all this dead time. Uh, what are you going to do? Just hold the chord? You could, but I would rather do a creative scalar film. Right. Here's another film. Scales are really important, and you know, if you study with me or any other teacher, um, 
they should emphasize those, but also show you the practicality of it. It's not just for fingering or dexterity at all. <laughs> it's about fills, it's about improv, it's about chord construction, interval naming, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right? If you can't see the, the D scale, how are you gonna do the, the, pent the blues pentatonic? <laughs> One, two, minor three, three. Mm -hmm. So um, I do try and show the practicality of the scales when I teach. Okay, so that was the blues and some blues fills. Um, let's see, what else shall we talk about? Hmm, let's talk about block style. This was a very famous style made famous by George Shearing. He was a blind pianist from England, jazz pianist. And what he was trying to do was to emulate a saxophone section. Right? Uh, I noticed Dexter was on here earlier. I don't know if he's still on here. He is. So he was trying to emulate a sax section where you've got like a berry sax and then a tenor, alto, uh, soprano. So what he would do is he would play the, the, the melody. Let me do Misty here. So the melody goes like this, right? Well, he would emulate, try to emulate the sax section. He would harmonize those melody notes with chord tones underneath it. So he'd play like an F major seven, right? With the melody, right? He's honoring the melody, but he's putting the four notes or three or four notes in the left, three or four notes below the, the melody notes. So he would do something like this. Right, those were all forms of F major. And that's what I call quasi block, where you play four notes total with the melody on top, obviously. All right, so instead of single notes, he's gonna really fill it out. He's gonna play a chord underneath each and every single melody note. Very full, right? Not that easy to do, by the way. And then he would, what he would also do is what's called locked hands or block style, what I call true block where instead of four notes, he would double the melody exactly one octave below uh, where it's written. So if it's written here, he's gonna double the melody here and he's gonna fill in with those other four notes in the right hand. So it's four notes in the right and the melody is duplicated. Listen to how, how full sounding this sounds. I was teaching a 60 year old woman years ago. She was just, you know, going so fast, eating everything up because she was classically trained and read and just practiced very, very diligently. I'm like, well, what could I teach her that would challenge her? So I'm like, let's do some block style. So from a dexterity standpoint, it's quite difficult, right? To play that four notes from the right and then to double that melody. So whenever I'm playing this song or any song that's gonna use block, I typically go a little slower than normal so I can pull it off without <laughs> slowing down or making a mistake. So this would be Misty in block style. Again, I'm playing the full four notes in the right and I'm doubling the melody in the left hand as a single note. All right, here we go. All right. Here we go.
So I typically will do block style or quasi block. Quasi block is my terminology, meaning four notes in the right, do not double the melody. True block, double the melody. But my, my gauge for when to do block is when I have an active melody. It's a very active melody with static harmony. The harmony is basically F major, this whole measure. So I'm coming off. Of, I can't really add any different harmony, but I just picked up five melody notes. One, two, three, four. That's rather boring. So I'm going to do block style to fill that out. Right. And there's only three spots in Misty that has a very active melody. There's one. So here's another one. So it's not like I do the whole song in block, although I could. It's when I have an active melody, but a static harmony, meaning no changing of chords. It's basically one chord for that whole five notes. Okay. Another great example of um, a great song for, for block is Stardust. It starts out with an F chord. Right, very active melody. But the harmony for those entire two measures is basically F major. So that's a good candidate, a very good candidate for block. Right. Okay, so I could do quasi block, four notes on the right, but not doubling the melody. That's what I'd probably do the first time. And the second time I would do true block. And the third time I do uh, like a. And I fill in between them. So I'll have students do um, the quasi block drill. For example, if we have a C6 chord, I'm in the right, playing this with the right hand. We have a C6 chord and we invert that. That's the drill. C6, when we invert it up to third inversion, we actually see that the notes are the same as A minor seven, alpha minor seven. So C6 is really an A minor seven chord just inverted. So I'll have the students say, okay, C6 equals a minor seven, and then go up and down one octave, playing all four notes of the C6 slash A minor seven chord. Okay, so you get two for the price of one. Basically, anytime I see a C6 or an A minor seven, then I can use that, some form of that um, quasi block. It's not that easy to do. You really have to see the different inversions. So we would go around the circle, F6. F6 is going to equal, or the same notes as D, as in delta, delta, D minor seven. Ah, there it is, okay. Okay, so those are basically interchangeable. Anytime I have a D minor seven or an F6 in a song, I know I can play some form of, of uh, you know, quasi block. 
depending upon the melody, if the melody is D, well, then that's going to be my top of my F6 chord. If the melody is F, then I'm going to play F6 first inversion. If the melody is A, right, I need to invert it again. If the melody is C, it's going to look like D minor 7, because that's what it is. <laughs> right? So uh, that's a very full-sounding way of, of filling a, an active melody. Another one that's good is... Uh, Right? That's uh, someone to watch over me. Very active melody. Right? Right, the chord is just an, a one chord, is, is it's an E flat chord, E flat six. But I wanna do some more interesting and fuller harmony. So I'm gonna harmonize each and every melody notes. Right. Etc. So again, active melody, static harmony, one chord. I want to do some interesting harmonies. It's called block style. And George Shearing, if you check it out on YouTube or the internet, it's also sometimes referred to as locked hands because you're locking the hands kind of into this position of exactly one octave from the top melody note to the duplicated melody note one octave below there's a single note on the left and you're kind of just locking into that one note left hand four note right hand okay any questions on that it's a very advanced technique a very advanced sound but well worth um well worth the effort right Again, active melody, static harmony. That's what I typically use it. And again, only three or four measures here and there, but it's a nice way of breaking up open position. What is open position? Does anyone know what open position is? I guess I could ask some questions here. Open ver position versus closed or close position. Does anyone know what that means? Uh, my students should be answering this unless they took off. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, open means that you're spreading the chord beyond the octave and close, C-L-O-S-E, close position means you're playing the notes within the span of an octave. So C major seven close position would be C-E-G-B. And then if we take that third and put it up an octave into the right hand, Take it out of the left. Now C major seven. We still have the four components of C major seven, but we've expanded the the chord tones beyond the octave. Okay, and it's called open position. You're you have an opening, so to speak. You took a note out of the left hand and put it up an octave into the right. So open is position is critical to understand because it allows us to play chords lower on the piano, for example. If I were to play those same chords close position, it's total mud, right? So we want to be able to use the negative two octave, right? The octave two below middle C. But we can't play close because it's muddy. 
So the remedy is to transfer the third of the chord. That's F sharp minor seven close. Now listen to how clean it is when I transfer the third out of the left hand, up an octave into the right. All right, very rich, very muddy. We don't want mud, we want rich. So, here's a golden nugget. Anytime you play any chord and it sounds too muddy, it's a very easy remedy. Just transfer the third of the chord out of the left hand, up an octave into the right, and you have this beautiful open voicing. And uh, I just put a couple new things on my website, and one of them is a comparison between my arrangement of Ain't Misbehaving and Hal Leonard's arrangement of misbehaving. It's from a Hal Leonard fake book called Your First Fake Book, right? So some of the chords in there are just too advanced, in my opinion, for a beginner. For example, they'll have a G7 chord, right? Let me see. Can't remember exactly what they did, but the melody was middle D and the chord was G7. Well, if you play G7 around middle C, right, you're going above the melody, that's a no-no. If you play it low, a G negative two, and you play it close position, all on the left hand, because you're a beginner, it's gonna sound like total mud, right? Not total mud, but too muddy, right? So I believe as a beginner, you know, when I write my beginner arrangements, they're just triads, because first of all, a beginner doesn't really know four note chords, Secondly, they don't know to play it open. Did I hear someone chime in? Mm. No? I heard a sound. So basically, in a nutshell, any chord that sounds muddy to you, just transfer the third into the right hand, out of the left hand, and it'll sound fantastic. Okay, and that's called open position. But that's not something I would teach a beginner, or certainly not without instruction. <laughs> so I'm writing my own... Um, beginner fake book because um, in my opinion we beginners should be playing triads not four note chords at least not in the very very beginning because uh, triads are the really the foundation for everything else so and you can make it sound really good with triads this is my arrangement of Amos behaving with triads what is it normally play that version so it took me a second to think about it but yeah Fats Waller wrote that piece and he wrote it with the left hand bass notes walking up by half step right, if you look at Hal Leonard's version it jumps around well that's not authentic so you can make a song sound very good and authentic with just triads and um Depending upon the arrangement, excuse me, the composer or the song, you want to honor, in this case, that half step. And in their arrangement, they don't. They jump around. They'll do this, then they go here, and then they'll jump down, et cetera, et cetera. So as you can see, I have a little bit of a problem with the fake books out there. You know, but in general, the, the general public doesn't really uh, know the difference. But when they hit that G7 and they don't know how to play it open, they're going to go, Ooh, that doesn't sound very good. Well, of course not, because they don't know how to play open position. So 
that will take you a very, very, very long way. The idea of transferring the third of the chord out of the left hand into the right hand. Okay. So do we have any students out there who play open position or is this old hat? <laughs> I'm doing a lot of talking, which I'm okay with, but if there's any questions, comments, um, oh, before I forget, I have just put up, my daughter's doing my websites, just put up uh, some uh, ADA, American Disabilities Act, some, uh, some things that should help blind and visually impaired people when they go to my website, which is blind piano lessons, plural.com. So if anyone has any comments on Pam, the Pam functionality does. of it would be great. Sorry. Pam has a comment. She's got her oh, hand okay. up. Thank you, Pam. Yeah. Um, hello there. Mark. Hi. Um, Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank I you. was wondering um, that apparently you can play around with the, uh, um, the octaves in the melody, like if, and the and the chords that you're playing that are uh, below middle C. Say if you're if you're playing like um, a certain melody, say I don't know what melody it could be like. Oh, you play a lot, you know, within the octave C A F G all that, and then you have a simple chord like C E G. Mm -hmm. You know, um, well, when you're playing the melody, there are are there are times that you can just play one note in the chord with your left hand, play some of the melody, and then another note in the chord, and then play some of your melody. Is, is that uh, sure. legitimate? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I have uh, half a dozen one-handed students, and so I have to really think about what are the most important notes. So let's say, I, let me try and illustrate that. So let's say I'm playing happy birthday, right? So I'm going to play one note in the right, the melody. Right? And then in the left hand, I'll play a three-note chord, C major. And then for the, the next chord, I'll just play two notes. Right? It's a form of G major, but it's inverted. So instead of jumping from C major all the way up to a G major, I'm like, well, could I just move one note in the left hand? It's a different sound. Oops. Same idea here. Instead of playing a full three notes, all right, I'm just going to play the important notes, the third and the root. So yeah, there's, there's always an option to play three notes on the left or two. Just depends if the melody, what the melody is. But you really do need to play a third. <coughs> the third of the chord is the most important note. So that has to be there somewhere. So, <coughs> excuse me. So if I play C major, I could just play C and E. That sounds okay because I have the important note. I don't have to play C, E, G. Now here's the G chord. I don't have to play the D, but I do have to play the third B. Okay. So it sounds okay. It's not great, but it is a G chord. Here's a C chord without the B, without the, the G. That's fine. Here's an F chord without the C, but I've got the root and I definitely have the major third. Right, so the third is the most important note of a triad, and uh, the root is a excuse me, the root is the second most important. The fifth of the chord is completely expendable. So here we go with no fifths. Just playing two notes for the chord in the left hand. 
right? So there's always, not always, yeah, there's always an inversion or two that can minimize the movement, but still pick up the important notes, okay? So I hope that uh, helped you to understand. C major doesn't always have to be C, E, G. It can be C, E, it can be E, C. It can be C and E an octave apart. Right? As long as it's got the third, you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. Basically. Mark, you have about five minutes left. Just thought I'd let Thank you. you know. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate that. Cool. Yeah, good question. So um, yeah, so I'm teaching a 12 year old, 11 year old Louise, uh, blind student, and uh, I'm like, okay, let's do Happy Birthday with uh, minimal movement. Now it's missing the D. I could put the D in the right hand. Kind of sounds kind of Bach, right? Bachish or choral. Here we go. So here's the A and the F. Yeah, see, I've got the components of F major. It's just not in root position. I'm playing A in the bottom, the third, the root above it, and then the fifth above that. So I'm spreading out the notes of the F chord. Right, which is a different sound. Now here I could do, that's different. Yeah, I think the more you spread the notes out, it's called voicing, the more it's gonna sound creative. This is CEG. That's the least creative way to play C major. Is it okay? It's Yeah, it's okay. But it's much better to play, or maybe this, or maybe this. Many, many different ways to play C major, but the closer you play the notes, i.e., close position, the, the less creative sound it is. Listen to the difference between Alfie with um, root position close, three notes left hand, versus uh, same chord but inverted. Right? So much richer. That versus that. Right? So I can show you all those things. So I don't want to run over. So any other questions with the remaining couple of minutes? Hopefully I covered a few new things. Um, just to pitch my website briefly, it's piano, excuse me, blindpianolessons.com. I'm happy to give you a free 30 minute, no obligation consultation slash lesson. And uh, you can see some nice testimonials on there. In fact, uh, my, my 11 year old student, Louise, I've got a couple of videos of her playing all of her major triads around the circle of fifths. She's a delight to teach. I could teach her 12 hours a day. She's just like a sponge. So I want to thank everyone for listening today and taking time out of their day. And hopefully covered a few things that um, maybe was new to you. Hopefully inspired you a bit uh, to play keyboard or the piano. If you have any comments on my website, by teaching, I think just let me know through my website. All right, you got about two minutes, and Dexter does have his hand up. Oh, okay. Hi, Dexter. Hello. Okay, run through the notes to the uh, blues pentatonic again. It's one, two, minor three, three, four, five. No, no four, five and six. Oh, just five and six. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the four. Wrong. Just making no sure. worries. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, the four is a problem because that's dissonant against the major third of the of the of the dominant chord, right? Well, that's that could be a nice little new presentation next week. My teacher would teach me, you know, there's problem notes that are dissonant 
against the chord tones and one of them is the fourth the f so he's like okay well let's start with the dissonance and resolve it all right that's controlling the dissonance rather than oh wait a minute i don't know what i'm doing uh, it's dissonant no start with the problem note right so that i thought that was quite uh, interesting way of teaching uh, improv right certain notes are part of the chord but if i do a problem note a dissonant note against the third it's kind of cool i'm 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 uh, controlling that's the word i'm controlling that dissonance and resolving it because i know where it should go leave you with a quote i read a quote recently by miles davis he said you know there are there are no wrong notes it's how you resolve it right it's where it goes afterwards that makes it sound okay or bad <laughs> so thanks everyone again for uh, your time your questions and i look forward to showing you something new next thursday <laughs>